Before you take off for the weekend, join us here on What the Truck. I'm Dooner, and that's Michael Vincent the Dude. What's hey, happening? Good afternoon. Good Friday afternoon, man. I'm in an argumentative mood today, and I don't know why. Yeah. Oh, you talked to me out of really well. today. You did talk to me out of doing one story. Yeah, that was, I did. That was very nice of you. <laughs> I feel good. You know, we had this really great experience, and this is something we want to get out and do more often. We went over to Tame and Transport. Now, Ryan Pamplin, he's been a guest on this show before. He's been on a time or two, and yeah. they invite us down. And you know what? I said to Ryan, can you get us one truck and one driver? We just want to talk to a guy, one of your drivers. They're, they're local here in Chattanooga. There we are. We went down to take, uh, to take a look at them. They let us look at their, their Peterbilts and their Freightliners. And, right, and there's Ryan right there. It was an awesome time. And it's been a while since we've been able to go out and go on location. But we got to do a nice little package and piece on bridging the culture gap between the drivers and their office. And one of the things we learned there is they do a wonderful job at it. And they have a liaison oh, yeah. in their dispatcher who is, oh, there's Cornbread. Yeah. There was a driver who, their, their driver, 26-year driver, he's now their dispatcher, right? Kevin Sandrock. Yeah. And I kept calling him Sheetrock, but it's yeah. Sandrock. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. We're, we'll have that for you on Friday's What the Truck. You'll get to check out that package. Good time. If you um, are local in the area or maybe further out once uh, travel opens up a little bit more for us and want us to come down, you can always reach out to me, tduner at freightwaves.com, T-D-O-O-N-E-R at freightwaves.com. And we'd be happy to consider it. Let us know what you've got cooking. Absolutely. It was a good time. It, was it really was time. a good time. It really was. It felt so nice. Yeah. And you yeah. know, if, if opening the hood of a Peterbilt were an Olympic event, my money's on cornbread. It was like cornbread. I mean, cornbread was great. This trucker was cracking on. Oh, was, yeah. was it you who he's like, I'm talking to the guy who can't open a truck hood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's tip the band before we get into the show, because we got a lot to get into. One of it is about the war on detention. But autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start reengineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at, tell them, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai immediately after the show. All right, a lot of news to get to. Let's hit it. What's up? All right, beware nasty side effects if government targets ocean carriers. This was a great interview that's up on FreightWaves.com now. Our own Greg Miller, he caught up with Lars Jensen to ask him about some of these marketing conditions, and he dropped some real pipe bombs, right? So on the market in general, Jensen had this to say. A lot of people in container shipping have never been used to this kind of volatility before. And for some, this quite literally means they have a business model that is no longer viable, and that scares the living Jesus out of them. He also said on the question of customer service, if carriers care that it's impacting you shippers, here's what he had to say. If carriers were concerned about customer relations, you would have seen rates stop going up a long time ago. There is not enough capacity and there's no way in the short term to bring more capacity to the table. It's as simple as that. So the only way you can balance this equation is by reducing demand. That's why prices keep going up. Yeah, Jansen also said this on, on if it's good or bad for large shippers. He said, this is great. If you're a very large importer that is still able to move a substantial part of your cargo on contract, and some of them definitely still have the ability to do that, you now have a massive competitive advantage compared to your smaller competitors that have to ship on spot rates. Mm. If I were a large importer, I would not be complaining about this situation. Sure, I'd be somewhat frustrated that I have to pay three or four times more than I did last year, but my competitors are paying 
10 times more. If I were a large importer, I would look at this as a strategic opportunity. I would eat that loss myself and not increase my retail prices because I can afford to absorb this and my competitors cannot. I would basically drive my competitors out of business. This is a huge point, Michael Vincent. And actually, kind of, there was a little argument on Freightways Now this morning. I don't know if you folks tuned in. You ever want to see Freightways Now? It's 9 a.m. Eastern time on tv.freightwaves.com. But we had John Gallagher on first, right? I was not. Kaylee Nix had John Gallagher on first, and they were talking about now if that MCS lawsuit, right, if that's going to make more shippers decide to jump on board. And um, John Gallagher said, yeah, you would think so. This would create like a floodgate for it. But then then Steve Ferreira, he said (laughs) he's dead wrong, and he was using this Lars Jensen logic, which I agree with too. This is a huge competitive advantage if you're the Walmart of the world. Like, yeah, it stings right now, but you can squeeze the oxygen out of the room for so many small players. Now, if a lot of them got together and created their own sort of alliance, then we're talking about something. But if you're relying on the Amazons and the Walmarts of the world, why would they help you? Yeah, that's where the class action comes from is the small guys getting together. But to who, exactly. who are they, they going to complain to? Exactly. <laughs> well, we'll get into it on demurrage, right? Right. So Lars Jensen said this. You could certainly see political intervention on detention and demurrage, not necessarily because it's a good idea, but because it's one of the few things that can be done because it happens in the U.S. and it's under U.S. regulation. Right. There's one thing, right, Michael Vincent? But here's the cause and effect that he wants to talk about here. He says, I can certainly understand shipper frustration on detention and demurrage because there are delays in the system that are no fault of the shipper. But in some cases, there are also no fault of the carrier either. There are an enormous number of stakeholders involved, and when something goes wrong, they all tend to point at each other. He can say that the industry practice for the last 60 years, and this is true, would have been to, you know, you book the freight, you have free usage of the container within a given number of free days. That's your last free day. We're all very familiar with that, right? That's right. That's right. Um, and if you don't give, and if you don't have it moved and your stuff out of there in time, you start getting this detention and demurrage charge. Well, you're a shipper, you're not able to do that anymore because you can't pull it out of the yard. So yeah. my first thing here is, Michael Vincent, is freight the only business where, like, shouldn't it be the other way around? If I'm the shipper, shouldn't I charge you detention for because I'm ready to get my cargo and I can't? Yeah, yeah, get yeah, it. yeah. You would think that they'd be offering uh, discounts because they delayed your shipment so like, long. This would be my coach but, right now. But like, his point is that it's not necessarily the carrier's issue. So is it the port's it, issue? Is it the terminal's well, issue? Is it the drayage? I mean, so he goes, look, if we take away demerge, if I'm restricted for charging detention demerge, here's what he says happens. Here's what he says happens overnight. Okay. He would simply say, okay, that's fine. I will only accept cargo CY to CY. Why container yard to container yard. After that, you're going to have to come down, pick up the container at the port, strip it uh, within a mile of the port, and give me back the container. So it just simply becomes a container usage fee at that point. There you go. Not I a agree good with all that. I don't, I don't think that's a good slope to go down. <laughs> but what do you do truth. then? I wish I had an answer. I, I, I got, wish I had the answer too. You have the know. answer? Come on the show. Let us know. So, oh, here's another one. So back to that story that caused all that conversation. Yeah. Swiss megaship operator rejects allegations of collusion by U.S. shipper mm. John Gallagher. John Gallagher, sorry, my Boston came out. Geneva-based container line. I'll just read this whole one. This I love Gallagher. John Gallagher, <laughs> Geneva-based container line giant MSC Mediterranean Shipping Company has denied allegations of collusion and contract violations by an American home furnishing manufacturer claiming its customer accusations are understated. Um, unsubstantiated. MSC said it was shocked to learn of accusations made by Easton, Pennsylvania-based MFCS Industries in a complaint filed at the Federal Maritime Commission. The complaint alleges that MSC, China's Costco shipping lines, and their competitors are violating U.S. maritime laws by reneging on their container contract commitments for vessel space, forcing uh, MCS and other customers into the spot market 
where MCS alleges <laughs> rates have been boosted artificially by the carriers. How do you like them apples? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the company asserted in a statement on Thursday, MSC received no formal complaints by MCS Industries in advance of the filing or in relation to the subsequent accusations made in the media, many of which remain vague and unsubstantiated and are incorrectly targeted at MSC. That's mm. what the company said. While MSC is still studying some of the contents of this particular complaint, the company does not recognize the alleged shortcomings in booking of the cargo allocations uh, provided for this shipper. Furthermore, MSC is not illegitimately selling space allotted to MCS industry under its service contracts to other shippers. That from MSC. <laughs> MCS President and CEO Richard Master, he acknowledged that while he didn't formally contact senior management at MSC or Costco, he said <laughs> this this is a quote our operations people have been reaching out to them asserting our contracts and explaining that we have not received the service that we contracted so th- tell me if i'm wrong that sounds to me like he's just like no but our team calls every day and is like where's our freight why does it cost so everybody in the office knows we're everybody. pissed at him you know come what's on, going judge. on everybody knows what's going on come on so what does this all amount to <laughs> well as you've been also following earnings have come out for a lot of steamship lines right yeah. strong spending latest steamship car- line to come out was today was MERS strong spending big earnings out of MERS. Data shipping giant Maersk reported earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization, that's the EBITDA, of $5.1 billion, a 200% increase from the $1.7 billion reported in the same period last year. Revenues were up almost 60% to $14.2 billion. And um, uh, Soren Skew, he had this to say, their CEO, we continue to build a high-quality ocean business with more long-term contracts, a rapidly growing, profitable list of profitable logistics business with more than half of the 38% growth stemming from top ocean customers and a value-creating terminal business. That's that demerge and detention you're all paying a lot of. Which doubled profitability in the quarter. Uh, and then he says this, though. It's like, you remember that thing that Jensen said about customer service? Do they yeah. care? About customer service. No. Well, tell me if this sounds like they care. Um, this is a quote. The results benefited both from the exceptional circumstances in ocean, where congestion and bottlenecks continued to drive the rates up, and from solid progress in executing on our strategic transformation. That sounds incredibly ominous as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. We strategically transformed into really yeah. poor service. Reuters reports Maersk announced it had bought two yeah, e-commerce companies. The comp- they're using the money. Yeah, here they go. They bought two e-commerce companies on Friday and said more acquisitions were coming soon. As the world's biggest container shipping line boosts its bet on land-based services. So this is where they're going. Visible supply chain management they bought and B2C Europe, both specialized in e-commerce for a combined enterprise value of $924 million. Wow, must have been a deal if you bundled them. Uh, One, Ocean Network Express, one, their year-over-year profit increase was 1,432%. Look at that. They're making money hand over fist. One said (laughs) in its earnings report last Friday that profit significantly increased in a large part because of the continuing strong market. Uh, And they carry included three bullet points that make that work. They said global container trade volumes increased by about 20% year-over-year. And Vessel utilization was at full capacity because of the strong cargo demand. Turmoil within the uh, entire global supply chain continued during the quarter. And uh, long-term freight increased, and short-term freight was significantly higher than expected. So contract rates went up, so did spot rates. That's what they're saying. Yes, and the turmoil of And you all know that, because you're all paying it. Well, now you're seeing what all your money went towards, these very high carrier profits. <laughs> Just look at a hey, 200% increase in EBITDA you know what? on 60% increase we, in revenue. Hey, let's tell some people how they can actually do
do some stuff to improve their operations oh, right let's now. Do that. Because yeah, we, we can't do anything about we ocean. We can't, right? We no. talked about this. We keep trying to establish that there's nothing necessarily in mm-hmm. the immediate immediately that we can do about ocean. But what we can do along your supply chain right here domestically and overseas is make your warehouses work more efficiently. So today we have Sam Lurie on. He's the founder and CEO over at Cargo. Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. In wild times indeed. I imagine the warehousing space is chaotic, but not nearly as chaotic as what we're seeing in ocean right now. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of technology that's being incorporated by uh, every party. You know, you, you're talking about all the different shareholders, uh, all the different stakeholders in the process, and everybody is now understanding that it is time to invest in, in their warehouse and their supply chain. Well, you are a Stanford alumni. You know who else went there, Michael Vincent? Um, Tiger Woods. Fred Savage. Oh, yeah. Fred, Fred well, Savage. and he's also done some research <laughs> on neural prosthetic limbs before he joined Cargo. So before we jump into Cargo, I got to ask you something. Where are we at with neural prosthetic limbs? Because I'll tell you, one time in, this was like the late 90s. I remember at Best Buy when you went in there, they had a, like this, this little helmet you put on your head. And there was oh, yeah. a skier in this video game. And you like supposedly could control him with your mind. And it seemed to work, but I don't know if it was like an optical illusion. But where are we at that space now? It sounds so sci-fi. We're doing, we're doing amazing things, especially for the medical community. Uh, when I was in uh, Stanford, we were doing actually invasive brain implants. So uh, our, some of our patients would actually go into surgery and get a small sensor implanted into the brain. What that allowed them to do is actually control a computer cursor on a screen just by thinking about moving their right or left arm. Uh, that gave a whole new sense of mobility for patients who had quadriplegia. They weren't able to move otherwise. Uh, and and to see them being able to communicate through text, play piano, play games was a was a really special experience. That is really cool stuff, and better than that little game where you tried to have that little ball blow through the little hoop. Remember yeah. that? That was a, that yeah, was the a mind one. one? Yeah. yeah, that little mind one. So let's talk about cargo, Sam. What uh, tell us all about it? What is what is cargo? Absolutely. Uh, so at cargo, we build smart loading docks. We bring uh, our customers command of their supply chain through loading dock visibility. Uh, as you guys were talking before, demurrage charges. Uh, detention time charges, they hit everybody in the industry. And everyone's trying to talk about how to solve them. Solving them by making the receiving and shipping process more efficient, more automated, safer, that all contributes to keeping the trucks at the docks for a smaller amount of time. Sam, a lot of you know, a lot of companies that are in the warehouse space right now, they're all focused, a lot of them are focused on automation. A lot of them focus on robots as well. So let's start there with your technology. I know that you have these control towers. Why them instead of uh, robots, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's application of robots in different parts of factories, distribution centers, and warehouses. But for us, we want to focus on automating uh, that's, uh, thank you for pulling that up. But yeah, we're focused on automating the, the difficult, the unsafe parts of the receiving, the unloading, and the loading process, right? We're not focused on actually moving uh, forklifts out, uh, material out of the truck or into the truck. We're focused on doing everything else, uh, doing the paperwork, doing the automated scanning. Our towers are able to pick up any sort of data that you're interested in about your freight, temperature, dimensions, Uh, labeled goods, unlabeled goods, logos, uh, expiration dates, right? We capture all of it so that the forklift driver can focus on the most efficient and the safest way to get material on and off the truck. That speeds up the unloading time so that the truck can be in and out of the loading dock significantly faster. 
All right, that all makes complete sense. It's gathering the data and giving that information quick so you're on and off. You don't have to get on and off. It's much safer, you know, getting on and off. The, you don't have to get on and off the, the forklift. But so exactly how does it work? How does it scan? How does it get this stuff? Is it scanning? Is it a reading an RID chip? What, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. So our towers have a multitude of sensors and, and lights, as you saw there. Uh, it has camera sensors. It has thermal sensors. It has time-of-flight sensors. And the idea is that what we read is what is important to our customers to understand their freight. As you can see there, there's four light bars that illuminate the scene uh, and then lights in between. So kind of on that center console right there, there's a series of different sensors that are picking up everything in the picture. And then on the top, you see those four green lights. Those communicate messages to the forklift drivers. Now, we actually don't do uh, RFID scanning. We think that RFID is actually a technology of the past. That's an unpopular opinion, but RFID is extremely expensive. RFID is difficult to actually implement across a complex supply chain. It works in some cases, but what most of our customers want to see is that we can integrate with their current labeling standards, the current way their supply chain interacts, and that's exactly what our towers do. They sit on every loading dock in our customer supply chain and so that it uh, verifies meetings and advanced shipping notices at the transaction points, uh, the key transaction points along the step in every supply chain. Hey, is it true that in order to sort of research this company in the, in the first few months of it, it was founded in 2019, so you're in your, uh, your second year, right? You spent, or your third year, actually, you spent months traveling throughout the United States, visiting warehouse and distribution centers, factories, speaking with hundreds of truck drivers, plus the workers. Um, first of all, is that true? And what did you learn from that experience where you're out in the field uh, gathering information? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was in my third year at Stanford, and uh, I'd actually worked at a large aerospace company uh, during an internship, and that's really where I got my love for logistics, for manufacturing. What I saw there was that they had invested a lot in automation, right? Robotics, uh, autonomous assembly, robotics within the warehouse, but actually the material visibility was still a very manual uh, and a paper process. And so we wanted to go and understand whether the challenges we saw at this aerospace company actually persisted across in other industries. And so I had this wonderful experience to go across the United States and visit any warehouse that would let me in. And uh, I met some amazing people uh, on this journey to understand exactly what technology limitations they have for implementing visibility across their entire supply chain. And what everyone told me was, hey, look, we have software, we have artificial intelligence, we have robotics, but we don't have a smart infrastructure. Our facilities are not necessarily have the right infrastructure to be able to enable end-to-end uh, -end material visibility, not just on a truck level, which we've been fortunate enough over the last five years to be able to do leaps and bounds, but actually on a pallet level. And that's really where cargo comes in. So if it's on the pallet level, does this have operations or applications into LTL cross docks in the future as well as you develop this out? That's the beauty of loading docks. Loading docks are absolutely everywhere. It could be a food distribution plant. It could be an automotive assembly plant. It could be a cross-docking facility. There are loading docks across the supply chain, and that means that our technology is applicable to all these verticals, right? There are slightly different flavors of unloading and loading processes of receiving um, and shipping. We totally understand that. But the fundamental concept of a loading dock where a truck comes in, a forklift drives into the truck and moves material out is the same and consistent. That's why our technology is so scalable and so applicable across the, across the supply chain. 
Let's talk about dwell times and the, and the problem that exists there. One, one stat I was looking at was uh, OIG found that for a 15-minute increase in average dwell time, meaning the total time stuck at a facility, um, increased an average, it increased the average expected crash rate by 6.2%, right? <laughs> Resulting in an additional 6,509 crashes per year. So there's also some value here beyond just simple optimization, right? Absolutely. Uh, this is a very human problem. I think there's been always a false dichotomy between uh, technology uh, and the American worker. I think that technology can actually support the safety uh, and the efficacy of jobs everywhere, right? Uh, The biggest thing we hear from our clients is that they can't fill roles fast enough, uh, trucking jobs, jobs within the warehouse itself. And so we hope that our technology makes uh, the entire operation more efficient, but the entire operation safer. I think everybody in the facilities that we've deployed at so far have loved the technology because it automates the tasks that they don't want to do. They don't want to get off the fork. They don't want to bend down and scan labels uh, near the floor or up top. They don't want to be standing at the loading docks for an extra hour or two and then have to try to get to that next destination when they're tired. This is a technology that helps workers all across the United States and all across the world. Wow. And then you got to talk about all the costs, right? So you're yeah. talking about the cost within the warehouse and that loading dock, but then with the drivers. So cost for hired truck drivers, detention times costing $1.1 to $1.3 billion a year, reducing the annual earnings per driver between $1,200 and $1,500 a year, right? In reduction. So a reduction between 3 and 3.6%. In comparison, motor carriers lose approximately $250.6 million to $302.9 million in net income every year, equating to a total loss of $1.35 to $1.6 billion for the trucking industry overall. So the cost savings is amazing. Well, we talked to a lot of drivers. For the drivers yeah. as well, I mean, a, th- a thousand <clears throat> schmausen, I mean, you know, but what really is the big benefit, <laughs> too, with that time is because it, there, there's a big working condition quality of life thing. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, of just being stuck uh, sure. in those docks. When you hear about being stuck at docks, it's not like a lot of times, it's not like you're just waiting in line. Nothing happening. There's very, there's a complete lack of communication, right? Yeah. Um, I hear drivers all the time. They're told, oh, 6 a.m. appointment. They get there. They're told, oh, we can't unload you at 6 p.m. They wait. Yeah. They're told, come back the next day. Yeah. It can be infuriating, Sam. Absolutely. Uh, part of the travels that I had uh, that you mentioned after Stanford was talking to truck drivers uh, and the kind of, as you said, quality of life, the pain that it adds. Uh, just having no communication, no visibility into how long they're standing at a facility. And we've been uh, fortunate enough that with the visibility that our towers provide to be able to increase um, and optimize how we unload the trucks. So where the forklift drivers go, how do we prioritize trucks based off their capacity? And that way we can actually reduce the detention times across uh, the facilities that we're deployed at. Yeah, we're looking at those times right now. I'm looking at a, a, a chart of it. Um, we may have it to show. I'm not sure if we do. Uh, oh, there we there go. Is. There it is. Beautiful. Yeah. So this is this is average wait time in the United States for, what is it, the past year we're looking at here, yeah. Michael Vincent? Yeah, that's a year. And if you're seeing, at least, like, they're, they were ticking down. They're going down a little bit. But by going down, we mean it's still 126 minutes. That's over yeah. two hours. That's two hours and six minutes. How much time saving does someone get when they put this on their dock? Uh, that's a great question. It does depend a little bit on your operation, but we've seen anywhere from 20 to 40%, right? Uh, and usually in, in operations, we've seen it's a, it's a trade-off between high visibility and quick turnaround time. And what you get with cargo is you remove that catch-22. You get that high visibility. You're able to understand every pallet that's coming in, 
both on uh, whether it's damaged, what's actually coming in, its temperature, its dimensions, all the important data points. But you're able to do it at the speed that you were never, never able to do it previously. And so removing that catch-22 gets the safety and security and peace of mind to the truck driver and, and the forklift driver, but also gives you the data that you need to improve your operations over time. Yeah. So, Sam, talk about integration into that warehouse or onto that cross dock. So does this would this integrate with other robots and uh, that are that are in there or does this also increase accuracy? Right. Is this giving you a count? Do you already have the pre waybills loaded in the system, et cetera? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the, the three main uh, benefits that uh, our uh, customers get is ASN and uh, bill of lading verification. So automatic verification. They know if there's a mistake. And more often than not, there is, you know, pallets go missing, uh, pallets are damaged, right? We do that automatic verification within milliseconds of that truck being unloaded. Number two is elimination of dwell time, right? And so we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, all facilities have to pay detention times. That adds up very quickly. And then the third is live pallet tracking. So being able to see where your pallet is, not just on a truck, or where it is in any particular facility. And so not just the warehouse or 3PL, but their end customers have unparalleled visibility into the pallet level and into their actual uh, freight and where it is in the supply chain. You talked about robotics, and I want to touch upon that for a little bit. You know, talking about smart infrastructure, our towers actually can communicate and provide smart connectivity and compute capabilities to robotics and wearables uh, to facilities looking to bring in other technology. You talk to other technology companies who are building robotics, who are building wearables, who are building smart devices, they all come into the same challenges around uh, availability of compute and connectivity in warehouses. And what our towers are able to do, other than provide this data about the freight, is actually provide them a platform to be able to modernize their facilities even further. All of these things are interconnected. And I truly believe that uh, warehouse um, technology and factory technology, it's kind of a case of rising tide lifts all boats here. Sam, how do you make money and how does it work? So do I, do I buy the towers? Am I leasing the towers? Am I renting the towers? Is there like a SaaS subscription that goes along? What's the business model? Yeah, Tim, I'm glad you asked. It's uh, a purely uh, service model. So you don't worry about buying the, the hardware. We've seen a lot of our customers, right? Uh, they don't want to be bogged down in large capital expenditures. Uh, so what we do is deploy the towers in less than a day in your facility and you're just paying uh, one monthly subscription uh, per loading dock per month. And so you can see ROI day one because it's an operational expenditure. You can see your reduction in detention times happen overnight. You can see the visibility. We can start showing you the discrepancies between your bill of ladings and your actual inventory. You can start building closer relationships with your customers by providing them that visibility starting day one of deployment. There's not even a ramp up cost. Tim, there's not even a power button. It's as simple as turning on an iPhone. Wow. Wow. I love it. I love it. So, Sam, let's talk about it. What's, what's, what's the goals here? You've got a $6 million feed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seed, I'm sorry, $6 million seed fund. Uh, where are you at? Where are you moving? Uh, what's, what are the milestones you're looking for, at least through the rest of this year? Yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have a great relationship and response from our customers. We're, we're growing uh, in an insane amount. We're actually opening up a new uh, assembly facility internally to build more and more towers because we're so kind of backlogged. And so uh, it's really exciting to see that the industry is moving to technology. They understand the need for visibility. And we're right there to provide the first and only ever dock visibility solution uh, right there to, to American Logistics. 
Sam, uh, who, so you mentioned those customers. Uh, have you secured any so far? Do you, do you have any contracts? How many of these sensors are out there in the wild? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Unfortunately, we're, we're under NDA with all of our mm-hmm. customers. And the reason because of that is uh, we're, we're handling all very sensitive data, right? Yeah. Uh, we are, understand all of their inputs and outputs into the facility. And so we take that security extremely seriously uh, and make sure that security in, uh, in our infrastructure and in our partners' infrastructure is built from the ground up. As you guys have seen, uh, American infrastructure has suffered some serious cyber attacks over the last oh, yeah. uh, couple of months, couple of years. And so it's important that if we're going to be a critical component of our customers' infrastructure and of our customers' uh, visibility, that we build security and safety uh, from the ground up into our solution. Yeah, I mean, the one, one thing we've, we talk about often on this show is automation and, and freight tech and the best areas to invest in. And I got to say, I mean, when, when you talk about automation, right, a warehouses, closed-loop kind of systems, oh, yeah. right? you're talking yeah. about autonomous robots, you're talking mm-hmm. about transferring data around those kind of things. I mean, yeah. the warehouse seems like the most obvious, quickest place to, to scale right now versus other methods. Yeah, it absolutely does. Absolutely does. And I love the fact that you're doing that connective because when you talk about immutable database center, like yeah. blockchain, et cetera, the only argument is, well, Joe's still got to put the information in. Yeah. Until you get that automated, you still got, this is really nice. Let's send up. Can oh. we send him to the wheel? Let's send him to the wheel. He's new. So he's, he's right. new to the yeah, show. He's got to go to the wheel of stupid wheel questions. Of stupid questions, uh-huh. We never know where it's going to land. Yeah, we so. don't. But you look we like from? you might be able to handle Hopefully this. Hopefully Oh, one. okay. This sure, is a good one. Says will be good. Okay. So, Sam. Yes. What what superpower would you not want to have? Oh boy, uh, which superpower would I want not want to have? Uh, I wouldn't want to randomly teleport. You know, you're sitting, you're having a meeting, <laughs> and then you end up in, in some uh, in some place. Uh, maybe it's a very pleasant, exotic location, but uh, otherwise, it, it, I think it'll get tiring after a while. Yeah, yeah. random teleportation would yeah. not be or cool. Like teleportation <laughs> you just don't have like a, like 100% control over. Yeah, you can teleport, but you're not sure where yeah. you're going. Could be bad. <laughs> Sam, it. how do people find it. more about Cargo? Where do we send them to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, check us out at mycargo, cargo with a K, dot com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thank you. All right, with fully furnished, state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response to your fleet from Love's Truck Care and Speedco. Learn more at Tell'em, dude. Go. Go to loves.com immediately after the show. All you right, know what, Dooner? What? Talking about, uh, talking about uh, randomly teleporting. Yes. Kevin Hill has. Kevin Hill is here. Let's hit the gong and make him appear. There he is. There he is. Hey, hey, Kevin Hill. He is our executive publisher. I'm not. uh, My first question is, what does that mean, Kevin? What is an executive publisher? Uh, That's a good question. It it means that that every time anyone does anything wrong, I I hear about it. I I mean, I I think that's. I I think that's the number one duty of being an executive publisher. But yeah, I oversee a media editorial and. Uh, TV here at Freightwaves. And our duty is to get him in trouble so he gets those. Yeah, I was going to ask him, how, you guys how, do what's a your percentage of it? calls you get that are concerned Dooner and the dude? <laughs> <laughs> you guys do a very good job at getting me in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, someone's got to touch the line. Uh, well, Kevin, so ton of events coming up. One of them coming up this coming Wednesday. We have virtual events a lot here. We're still stuck in that world. And unfortunately, with Delta, hopefully it doesn't, you know, things improve with what's going on with Delta. But most immediately, we August 11th, we have the Gold Chain Summit. What are we yeah. doing there? The Gold Chain Summit. Cold yes. chain. Yeah, I know. The, the Cold Chain Summit. So talking all about the cold chain, we have vaccines, we have different consumer behaviors, different consumer patterns, and great technology. Our keynote speaker is from Lineage Logistics, the CIO, Sir Dawson Tate. 
And uh, he'll be talking about his new alliance with 8VC, which is a, a big venture capital investor in the freight tech space and one of our investors as well. Hey, last Excellent. year we had this. Michael Vincent, remember yeah. we did the, the cold chain summit? Actually, yeah. I think you, you went on the pallet jack that time. We got to do more. Was that like that one? I think it was. But at that time we were doing the, the cold chain summit. It was actually it, the way it aligned. We had that right before the launch of the vaccine. And that was the big storyline last year, oh, getting yeah. this vaccine out. You know, logistics, biggest, uh, you know, mobilization since yeah, World we were War talking II. About Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed. That's what yeah. we were talking about. So this year, what do you think the themes will be at the cold chain? I know we're still distributing vaccines, but, you know, we, so what's the theme this year? Yeah, vaccines we will we'll cover. It's not going to be such a big thing as it was back, I believe, in October of 2020 when the vaccine rollout was, was, was starting. One of the big things is e-commerce and how e-commerce has disrupted the network of cold chain facilities. Because we all know cold chain facilities are in short supply. They're about 100% capacity. It's very hard to build new uh, facilities with that. So that's one of the, the big themes and how technology is changing that. Another big thing that we're going to cover is cybersecurity. So it, it, we see all these cyber attacks. The cold chain is another uh, frontier in that, that war with uh, cyber criminals. And as new technologies and internet things come into cold chain facilities, there's more things to hack. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they're handling the the you know the backlog in the ocean and maritime. Remember, there's no plugs in China and so yeah. on. You couldn't yeah, how that's doing. It. But it bring up a good point is e-commerce. E-commerce. You've got uh, grocery delivery and all that kind of stuff happening right now. So that's yeah. got to have some strains and changes in the gold in the cold chain. But so how so? So someone who's listening and they go, well, how they're not as familiar with this world. How is e-commerce? In what ways is it disrupting that that reefer freight? I really direct to consumer, right? Yeah. As, as Vincent was just saying. Uh, e-commerce, going direct to the consumer, people ordering their groceries at home, uh, and, and other items, too, that, that are refrigerated. You're, you're skipping over that, that normal uh, from distribution center to retail, from someone coming in and, and buying that. And, and, you know, you have Instant Cart, you have other, you know, automated orders where you can go to the grocery store and pick it up. But then you have Amazon Fresh, you have uh, a lot of different other services that are going straight from the D.C. to the consumer door, skipping that retail part. And it's positioning those cold chain facilities to be able to do that in uh, a more efficient uh, fashion for uh, more people in more diverse uh, geographies, maybe rural geographies. You know, cities always have really nice distribution centers. But, you know, how do you get cold chain facilities out into rural areas where e-commerce is picking up as well? I mean, the, the, they pull forward quite a bit of e-commerce growth in the last uh, 12 to 15 months right now. Yeah, I mean, we just talked to Sam on here from Cargo, and they do a lot of data scanning of warehouse stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he has an NDA, so he couldn't even say how many reefer facilities in. But the topic of cybersecurity and data obviously came up. Came oh, yeah. up, and with more and more digitization, then you talk about highly specialized, especially pharma supply chain, cybersecurity, a lot of sensitive information being transferred back and forth. Um, I'm very happy we're having a session on that. All of you out there, you can catch this one August 11th. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time. You will go and register at live.freightwaves.com, and these. Next events we're talking about, same place, live.freightwaves.com. It's your hub for every current event, every upcoming event, but also you can also go there and you can go to any past event. You can click on agenda and you can check out all of that stuff on demand. But September 1st, yeah. another place where everything's on fire, right? So we talk about the ports being on fire. We talk about warehouses being on fire. We talk about <laughs> trucking. Intermodal, especially when you're talking to people on the rail side. It has been a nightmare. September 1st, Intermodal Summit. What's on the docket? Yeah, you, you expect it, too, because it's that, that central connecting point to, to a lot of freight. You know, the ocean is on fire. 
Uh, there's congestion at the ports. Part of that congestion is getting those containers offloaded and onto trains to, to go, especially on the West Coast, to go to Chicago and Dallas. UP, uh, just a couple weeks ago, suspended service for ocean containers for a week because there's such delays in, in Julia, Illinois. So uh, there, there's that congestion just feeds into intermodal and, you know, it starts at, at the port and it feeds into the, those railways leading out or trucking out of that. And, uh, and, and that, that puts more pressure with these delays to expedite things, which goes into full truckload, which basically makes uh, tender rejection rates climb up to, to 25, 30 percent in some markets. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we saw we started seeing embargoes, intermodal embargoes. When, mm-hmm. when, when have we ever seen that before? Have you seen the cost of some of these <laughs> like, gray moves, too? Oh, yeah. Remember that one we had on here is like $8,000 to go. They weren't even leaving Chicago. And right now, especially <laughs> if you want something moved quick, which is nearly impossible, but if you want it moved as quick as physically possible when it can, you're spending huge premium prices. And this is on top of those container rates that are up five, six hundred 600%. And not to mention, then when you finally do the dray and you got to move it again, we're talking about truckload lates where the spot market's at. Uh, it's, it tied that top high of 333 again on a national level. So we are in a lot of trouble. I mean, the ocean was literally on fire, Kevin Hill. We talk about ocean freight being on fire, but the ocean was on fire like two the weeks ocean ago. Was on fire. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you I'm, know, I'm, it was well, on fire and there's the fuel because we have a fuel buyer summit September 22nd. Um, what, what would be interesting about that, especially if you're not a fuel buyer yourself? So uh, fuel buying, it's, 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 it's interesting because it's such a, a large portion of, of truckload and LTL uh, expenses, right? And especially since we've seen diesel run up 40, 45% since low points around the first of the year, diesel's on fire. Uh, there's a lot of programs out there. It can be confusing for both fleets, but if you're not a fuel buyer yourself, it's, it's really good to understand the process. Because once you understand that process, then you can go into fleets and, and talk uh, with more knowledge, right? You know what you're talking about if you sit down and watch our Fuel Buyers Conference. And uh, Scott Burhank, uh, who uh, was at Opus for, for years, Kingston is, is certainly yeah. going to be heavily involved in that. And these guys are fuel buying, gasoline, petroleum product experts. Well, yeah, if you're, if you're involved as a shipper or a brokerage or whatever, it, just understanding more of what gets into and what, what goes into those, the, the fuel surcharges tables, et cetera, yes. right? And what's yeah. going on there yeah. and what to expect moving on. It's Huge impact on Let's, fuel uh, surcharges. But and then we've got November 8th and 10th, right? We've got the festival like no other, okay. the Bonnaroo of freight in Chattanooga. Tell us about that, Kevin. F3. Yeah, F3, November 8th, 9th, and 10th here in Chattanooga, all around downtown not only the live stage in the conference hall, but we have our TV live stage out in the exhibit hall. Uh, we're going to have great guests, awesome speakers, and every afternoon and into the evening, different events around downtown Chattanooga show off this beautiful city. And uh, in, in November, it's beautiful weather as well. There's a rumor that I hope is true that What the Truck will have its own like stage stage. Like band stage, because a lot of this logistics community wants to play music with us, Kevin Hill. We can't be like an exhibit hall stage. We're not a bunch of giraffes, okay? I understand that, and I don't really know if we have a stage stage a set up for what the truck. We'll work on that. I started that on rumor it. a week ago. It's Let's got to work on that one. That's how you manifest destiny. That's how you make things happen. Uh, yeah, we'll get them there in just a second, right. but I got to tell the people how to get this. So November 8th to 10th, go to live.freightways.com, click on F3, use promo code WTT. You'll save yourself $200 on a ticket. And Kevin Hill, before we kick you out of here, we got to spin the wheel of stupid questions. And this time there's stakes because you're in person. 
$20 is on the line if you answer this stupid question correctly. Are you ready for it? How do you answer a stupid question correctly? I have confidence in you. Man. Okay. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Spin the wheel, make the deal, right, Kevin. Here we go. What inanimate object do you wish you could eliminate from existence? What inanimate object? I would say inanimate objects, I would say rocks. You'd get rid of all rocks. I'd get rid of all rocks. That's a horrible answer. That is terrible. I know it is a horrible answer. What an Sorry, animal Kevin, you're wrong. This building is built you're on bedrocks, dude. Oh, I know, but <laughs> I, I like to, to go barefooted, and, and rocks hurt my feet. Oh, like gravel, maybe. You're on, Kevin. Yeah, gravel. You're just on, gravel. Oyster shells. <laughs> Oyster, Oyster shells. Oyster shells. Parking lot. Your answer is a quarter right, good. Let's give, should we here. give another one? <laughs> quarter. We no, we got We got to get over to Nicole. We got Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us and filling us in right now. Um, for those you, out there that are horrified by this uh, destruction of money, it's actually from Kevin Hill's prop money. Um, <laughs> prop money pile over there, Kevin. It's not real. I knew you could spare one. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you once again. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Nicole Heron, she is a driving recruiter center manager over at DHL Supply Chain, and she's going to talk to us about some of the innovative ways that they've been recruiting drivers in this uh, you know, really tight job market. Absolutely. And we just add even more jobs in transportation, but are there people to take them? I don't know. That's why we're talking to Nicole. Nicole, awesome. thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to meet you guys. So we've heard a lot of the recent months, right? We're seeing drivers that I mean, we're seeing all different companies that are putting the, we're seeing like, it's almost a couple of years ago where the bonuses are, are going up and it almost seems like a lot of different carriers are getting desperate. We've heard about the driver shortage. So from your perspective over at DHL supply chain, uh, what are you seeing and, and what are you doing to attract and also retain drivers? Also super important. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely um, a whole new game out there right now. I mean, this whole driver shortage thing is nothing new. We've been dealing with this for a number of years. The, you know, average age is increasing mid fifties, you know, so we're already creeping up on uh, people that are planning on retiring. You add in the whole COVID uh, deal and, you know, now we've got people taking retirement early, not enough people coming out of CDL school. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like you said earlier, it's on fire right at the moment. So we've got to be creative. We've got to find some type of innovation in order to grab and attract new drivers. Um, you know, one of the great things with DHL, just the size and the scope of our company, you know, we've got um, a lot of um, continuous improvement and, you know, room for innovation. So what can we do to make that driver's experience a little bit nicer, a little bit more efficient? Um, making sure that we've got good equipment out there. That's huge. Um, you know, some in-cab technology for the drivers where, you know, is it an adaptive cruise control? Is it digital routing? Just different things that are going to make the driver's job a little bit easier. Um, adding to that, you know, just how do we find the right driver and make it a good fit? You know, the way that, um, uh, recruiting, we've got to be on the phones immediately with these people, as I'm sure you can appreciate. There are tons of uh, there are tons of uh, motor carriers trying to get the same applicants. We're all fighting against the same ones. You know what I mean? So it's definitely um, we've got to be on the phones as soon as possible um, and making the hiring process just efficient, understanding what it is they're looking for, um, things of that nature. Yeah, excellent. So, first of all, uh, OH, Nicole. Um, yes. And, but I would like to know, so does DHL uh, Supply Chain have any innovative programs to help uh, recruit new drivers? What are you guys doing on that front? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, you know, considering the scope of the, the company, we've got a huge warehouse population. So, we um, 
are really focused on growing our own drivers, taking that warehouse population, putting them into a doctor driver program. Um, you know, we, we're really big on pushing a career path. So making sure that, you know, people that think that they might have maxed out in the warehouse understand that there's, there's still more that they could learn and they can grow with the company. We're getting them into CDL school. We're training them, you know, to, to be drivers. They can do something where they're at, you know, physically right there. Um, but we're a nationwide carrier. So if they're in a, you know, a mood and they want to relocate, we've got opportunities across the country. So we can definitely find them a home. So excellent work. You get them trained. You convert them to being a driver. We go through all these efforts of recruiting. But once they're in the house, how do you keep them there? How do you retain the drivers? And what kind of mistakes are the, uh, I mean, what can the, the industry be doing better about that? We're talking about a place where there is 100% turnover. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, and it's all about the appreciation. You know, um, you know, from the, from the very first contact with the recruiter, it's got to be honest. It's got to be um, a clear picture of what that job is going to be. You know, there's no point in trying to shoehorn people into a job just because. We want to make sure that it's a right fit, get them to the operation, see what we do, and just so that they understand that we're just, you know, not pushing them in one particular direction. Um, we need to appreciate and, you know, make sure that our existing fleet understands the fact that, you know, we can't do this job without them. Um, you know, we want them to be professional and safe out there. Um, but we should really be, you know, making sure that these drivers understand that, again, there is a career path. So, you know, they might be a route driver today, but they could be a trainer. They can move into operations, you know, management. The, the company's huge. There's way too many opportunities to be stagnant. Uh, or, you know, rather than just being stagnant and sitting in one position for any length of time. Excellent stuff, Nicole. So if people are interested of all these different opportunities that you have there, no doubt that there are. We've talked to many people at DHL, right? They're doing a ton of stuff Mm -hmm. there. Where do they go to uh, learn more about uh, DHL's transportation capabilities and get a job driving for you guys or working in a warehouse? Yeah, there's a couple of different places you can go and check out. So we do have podcasts um, out there, the DHL supply chain, all business, no boundaries. You can go and check out, you know, monthly podcasts there. Um, As far as driving careers, drive for DHLsupplychain.com. You can go there, see a list of what we've got nationwide and uh, have one of my recruiters give you a call. (laughs) <laughs> well, Nicole, I really appreciate it. If people are, you know, they, they like what they see out of you and they, they feel comfortable talking to you, where should I send them to? Yeah, again, I mean, you know, send them to the website, send them to that drive for DHL supply chain.com. We'll, we'll get a hold of them immediately and, you know, try to find them a house. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate okay. it. Yeah, go check out DHL. They got plenty of going on over there. Returning oh, man. drivers, they got tons of stuff going. You know, they mentioned um, they mentioned podcasts as well, and yeah. I'll tell you something a little bit about our fair podcast. And this is one hundred percent thanks to you, listeners. We can't make this go anywhere on the charts if you don't go on a podcast player, an audio podcast player, and press play. And right. this one is Apple Podcasts in particular. On Apple Podcasts, we're about eighty percent of our downloads to what. Just I'm waiting for the news. It okay, eighty percent. All right, I thought you were. Like, no, man. 80, I'm, I'm Apple Podcasts are about seventy. Actually, seventy-two percent of our downloads come from right. We out of there, there's about two million podcasts. We are number forty-two, United States of America, this week on the regular charts. But get this: the all-time charts number thirty-five on the Apple Podcasts United States of America business news charts. Thirty-five. 35 in the United States of America. Thank you so much for that. But you didn't stop there because you're all over North America, you listeners are. You are all over North America because in Canada, we are number 45 in business news all time. Thanks to you. But we're not done. 
because you not? can't forget Mexico. Uh-huh. In Mexico, number 35 all time in business uh-huh. news. Thank you so much for pressing bueno, play on this show. Bueno. For those of you who only watch the video version of this, you can find the audio version of this podcast anywhere you get your podcast by looking up What the Truck. For those of you that only listen to the audio version, you can watch this podcast wherever you want at tv.freightwaves.com or by downloading the Freightwaves TV app. And these things are always on demand afterwards. I post them up to freightwaves.com. Yep. Uh, and you go on the podcast over there. I think if you just go to freightwaves.com slash podcast, you'll find all of our shows there, the entire back catalog, and all of that uh, that wonderful stuff. Now, with that said, we have to watch a... Uh, we, want some, we want to urge you some viewer discretion here oh, yeah, for yeah, yeah, a video yeah. we're going to roll here in a minute. Let me just set the table for you. Um, this is a really tough video that's coming out of a, it's, a, a it's, police it's, department. It's not gory or anything, but it is incredibly disturbing. So, yeah. yeah. So, viewer discretion is advised if you are triggered by scenes of violence or anything like that, because there is some police body cam footage that is uh, very shocking that's about to be played. So, giving you a second here to turn this off if this would bother you. But with that said, roll the tape. Hello, I'm Lincoln County Sheriff Tom Nestor. This video is being shown to provide transparency and insight into the events that law enforcement officers face every day. This video will have various angles and recordings of an officer-involved shooting that occurred in the early morning hours of May 20th, 2021, here in Lincoln County. At 3.14 a.m., the Lincoln County Communication Center received a 911 call from a professional truck driver who reported a suspect actively stealing items from semi-trailers. County 911, where's the location of your emergency? I'm at the, uh, I'm on I-70 and 287. I'm at that little parking area. I report someone hit my seal off. So far, it looks like they didn't take nothing out, but there's another truck sitting there with his door open, and I think they're trying to steal stuff. After gathering pertinent information, Lincoln County Communications dispatched Deputy Sheriff Michael Hutton to the scene. Minutes after being dispatched, Deputy Hutton arrived on the scene and met with the reporting person. Okay. This one here? Is this your truck or? Okay. I didn't see your doors open when I came down here. No, because he already shut them. All right. Someone did because they took the seal off. The seal's off. That means someone. Of yours? Yes. Okay. Before the investigation could even begin, Deputy Hutton was ambushed and shot within seconds. You didn't talk to this driver at all, did you? No. Oh! Deputy Hutton was shot three times, injuring his hand, his arm, and his torso. One bullet Shut pierced his lung, which left him with life-threatening injuries. Here we go, Mike. A regional response was requested by our communication center for an officer down. Lincoln County Communications and Deputy Hutton continued to talk the best they could. Um, Lincoln 7 status. Everybody's huge caution. Again, I'm down. And I'm uh, losing blood pretty quick. Yeah, I shot about three times. I'll be right I've got air life heading your way, sir. You've got backup coming. Hang in there. Yep. 
After 21 minutes, responding officers were able to get to Deputy Hutton and begin life-saving efforts. Hey, where you hit? Where you hit? I got you. Where you hit? I'm right here, Mike. Where? We're here. Okay. All right. Where you hit? Do you know where you hit? Okay. All right. All right. Okay. 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 Dude, you're not bleeding in your torso. You're okay. You're okay. You need some shears? We got you, brother. We're right here, big dog. Okay. Okay. We didn't cut this off. Okay. Who we got? Someone else here. Hey. You're right, bud. Deputy Hutton was transported to Lincoln Health, where he was stabilized and was later airlifted to a Denver area trauma center. As trauma teams were saving Deputy Hutton's life, the manhunt for the suspect continued. Later that morning, Tristan Ensinger of Ohio was located with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It was later discovered that the suspect was on a run for a murder he had committed a few days prior to ambushing Deputy Hutton. Through the investigation, it was evident that the suspect intended to ambush law enforcement upon their arrival. This incident shows the dangers that law enforcement officers face every day. We are grateful that Deputy Hutton is healing well and will return to full duty. The Lincoln County Sheriff's Office would like to thank our community for supporting us through one of our darkest hours. We would also like to thank all of our colleagues that came to our help that morning. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that, that as you saw in that video, I mean, um, God bless the officer who was able to be saved and, and his team and his life saving things. And, and you know, he, the sheriff said something out there at the end that this shows the danger that that officers are put in. And it does. But it also shows the danger that drivers are put in as well. And drivers themselves are, are not armed. They're not allowed to be armed. Yeah. And they confront situations like that where there's a guy in the back of this guy's trailer with a gun. Yeah, a murderer exactly. on the run. Yeah, the driver calls in trying to help himself, and this guy's hidden in this trailer. In his trailer. And what would I, and if the driver, not wearing body armor or anything, opened that door? to do that without the officer there? He would have been a dead guy in a parking lot. Oh, yeah, he would have been, been a dead man yeah. in a parking lot. Um, God, you know, God bless the sheriff's department, though, for, for getting that um, resolved. Uh, all right, time for a little good news, bad news before we send you in the weekend. Positive bad news and good news. Whoa, okay. Let's see, what do we got? What do you got for the first one? It's got to be better news than that. I guess the good news there was the driver survived, right, in that previous one. But The driver survived, um, and they did an excellent job getting on a video that everybody needs to see because the officers need that. Yeah, well, they, they weren't the only patrol that was up to some good out there. Yeah. The Utah Highway Patrol just did this. Let's roll the tape. Went off the Whoa. road. Went up over the top of this card rail. now on fire down there. Yeah, as you saw there, so the, what, what, the, the bad news is that this morning a semi ran off the road on yeah. I-15 northbound at milepost yeah. 71 in a summit. The driver, though, was lucky to be wearing his seatbelt, right? He crashed down there, was able to get out of the cab before it got engulfed in those flames he was taking. And the good news is he was taken to the hospital. And, uh, you know, Summer Street's going to be closed until this afternoon. It yeah. might be opening up now. He lost but, over there, went into the fire, but got himself out. Got himself out of the fire. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah, serious injuries, though. But still, he got himself out, didn't burn up, did not die. Yeah, so, and that, Utah so. Highway Patrol got that one. I mean, that was like an yes. action movie scene where it was like uh, just completely, completely engulfed and emoliated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You got absolutely. one today? I, I got one here. So good news. A Japanese artist has made a, a, a zipper boat. Oh, 
And oh, who, yeah. who who doesn't like a good zipper boat? I like a good zipper. I mean, boat. check it out. I think it's cool. Could possibly that, be bad about it. Well, it doesn't really open up the water. That'd be oh. cooler, right? Like yeah. you know, phew, much easier to cross like the Dead Sea and stuff like that. But <laughs> <laughs> now, is there a, is there a like is there a YKK logo on that? If you're not familiar, I don't see a YKK logo on that. But if there was, they'd probably make money off of it. <laughs> if you look at your zippers, especially if you have like halfway decent clothes, most yeah. zippers are, are YKK. Like if they, the they, zipper still works after a week of having your clothes, it's probably a YKK. <laughs> y, yeah, YKK makes like they're not. The, you know, that sometimes you get a zipper when it gets stuck sideways yeah. on the zipper thing, That's and there's not, not enough. I hate when that happens. Yeah. What is the best thing to do in a situation like that? Get rid of the clothes and go buy. Never buy clothes like that again. That's the best situation. (laughs) Well, so ninety percent though. Fortunately, most zippers, right? Ninety percent of the world's zippers are YKK. And um, someone on Reddit who knows way too much about zippers chimed in. They said these person. They said this is why they simply make. And I also verified this after the fact. But they said they simply make the best zippers in the world. There's a user named Rem Incognito. He says they simply make the best zippers in the world. They aren't the cheapest zippers. They are simply the best zippers. Clothing that cares about material quality are generally made with the YKK zippers, right? If they're designed to last more than three months. YKK also, now let's get into the supply chain. YKK, they have their own minds to extract the metal that they use in their zippers, right? So they (laughs) control those. They have access to them. Um, They are one of the few completely vertically integrated companies in the world. Now, remember Niccolo when Trevor Milton used to claim that he was that Niccolo was? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, YKK actually is, and they've been doing it for like 90 years. This isn't a start. This isn't a, you know. (laughs) But it gives them a level of quality control for their fashion. That's why the zippers have always been good. But here's the one thing that can happen with uh, with a supply chain like theirs. They got into a little price you fixing thing, didn't trouble, they? right? They, they, <laughs> they, they yeah. did. On Sept- you want me to? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, sure. On September 19, 2007, YKK was fined 150.3 million euros by the European Commission for running worldwide price fixing cartels <laughs> and sharing markets with zipper makers. What? Prim and Coates, dude. It's a cartel. Coates, and Coates of, of Britain and Prim of Germany were fined 122.4 and 40.5 million euros respectively for their participation in cartel behavior ykk lost its appeal to the general court on july on june 27 2012 it then launched an appeal in europe uh in in in, in september in october 2014 part of the fine was reduced by the european high court uh from 19.25 million to 2.79 million but yes cartels the, zipper, like the zipper cartel. cartels wow i wonder what their price what were they price fixing the, the price of a zipper at I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> you might need them in those type of commodities. I mean, if you see what's happening with mask makers, like mask makers are asking for a bailout now. Yeah. Because all, like the, the flood of Chinese masks have finally come here that are like, you know, a penny each to yeah. buy. There's, yeah, there's right. so much. But do you think they should get bailed out? Or is it like, look, you knew you were making a business that was taking advantage of a certain condition. Once that condition's over. I think you got to cut out the handouts. Only bail out, buy stockpiles. Make sure we have stockpiles so we don't get caught with our pants down like last time, right? Buy the stockpiles. By the show, listen to What the Truck, What the Truck, wherever you get your podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Timothy Duner, that is D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Look us up on LinkedIn. You want to be on part of the show. You know how to hear me. You know how to reach me, because I just told you. Vincent, tell him how to be this weekend. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>